This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Voicegate for November 9th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Network feed, or you can find us on our own podcast feed on all podcast platforms applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voicegate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast. And you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, what an interesting uh, uh, turn of events has it been since Gate of Destiny to this Corkin, hasn't it? Yeah, it already feels like Gate of Destiny was about three months ago. Seemingly everything that we thought might be relevant after that show, after Gate of Destiny, uh, the Cork and Hall show, Gate of Evolution on November 5th, just wiped that all away. We're now very much living in an active and I would dare say exciting promotion outside of a few things that I uh, will critique as we go along this evening. Yeah, okay, so I'm willing to guess that a lot of things that I'm willing to critique, that you're going to critique, uh, I think it's things that we're on similar minds of, so I, I, you're not going to hear a lot of pushback here, but uh, yeah, so that's really what's on the docket this week is the November 5th Gate of Evolution Corkin. It was, it'll be up on the network until the 11th, in case no, your review is up at voicesofwrestling.com. Let's just get into it because it's a very interesting show. I, I would say more interesting about uh, about everything around the show than the matches itself, I would say. But that's just my impression. What was your big takeaways from this week's show? Yeah, I don't have a single match higher than three and a half stars, which that statement on a surface level would normally be very concerning to me. But I really liked six of the seven matches I thought they all served their purpose, and I thought there was a lot of fun on this show. This was a show that I was able to sit down in one sitting, breeze through, write my review, do my notes for this, and now I'm excited to talk about it because I do think there was a lot of meat on the bone, even if there weren't necessarily a bunch of great matches. And I feel like that coming out of Osaka into this show and then staring down the barrel of the fact that November for this year's is a very weird month. They went dark, at least from the network, from the 5th until their show at Sambo Hall on the 23rd. So it, 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 it it's a show that I think was like planned in a way, or maybe it's intentional, to linger 
in people's minds and boy do they find a lot of ways to linger in people's minds and i mean we're also staring at the barrel of december is going to be a crazy month like straight up it's going to be wild we've got the uh, the uh, biannual uh i'm sorry semi-annual uh sapporo triple shot we have this is the a2 cork and month we have a cork and on the first like, like they have a crazy month going up ahead and they're basically hitting everything except for Osaka and Fukuoka in December. So it's kind of like that they 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 clear the deck, as we've been saying for uh feel for like really like the whole year. We know what the focus of this year is. We know kind of what the focus will be at least like leading into December from this Corkin. And boy, they have really set the the deck in a way that I felt like they needed to after a rather underwhelming Gate of Destiny show. Would you call Gate of Destiny underwhelming? I would because Gate of Destiny to me, like and I feel like we talked about this on Thursday, like it, it it holds a special place to me because of all the great Dreamgate matches we've had there. Like it's just like one of those places that if you look over the, the last decade, like you can start rattling off main events like Gate of Destiny, and, and at the very least, with like around the Dreamgate, they would have been excellent or you would have like very important matches like the last big six match in the akira tozawa farewell and we just didn't really have that again destiny and i mean the 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 fact that like i'm looking at my star ratings from gated destiny in comparison to cork and other than the twin gate match a lot of my ratings were kind of the same but also i i recognize i was probably a little bit lower on that big show than i was than you it's weird that this entire promotion, and I use this phrase to wrap up my cork and review this past week. This promotion has been painfully consistent this year. The lack of stick, the lack of, of dare I say stink that this promotion has left on some people has been very strange because I look at my match of the year tracking sheet and I have 40 Dragon Gate matches at four stars and above, which is a great year for any promotion. I mean, I would expect that from New Japan during its peak. We're hitting that point with AEW. I have roughly the same amount of AEW matches at four stars or higher than I do Dragon Gate matches. By all intents and purposes, this has been a very good year. I think most promotions in the world would strive for something this strong, and all Japan or a big Japan would kill to be this consistent. But it does seem like Dragon Gate is fighting the, the, an uphill battle against themselves almost, and I don't know what it is, and I haven't been able to pinpoint it, because you can look at this promotion, you can say, well, I like what Masquerade's doing, and I like what RED's doing, and I like what Natural Vibes is doing, and you know your opinions may vary on high end. I ultimately don't think that unit is causing this entire promotion to go into disarray, so we'll count them as more of a chaotic neutral. King of Gate was good. Speedstar Final was a success. We've had great Dreamgate matches all year. Skywalker versus KZ, Skywalker versus Ishida, Skywalker versus Yamato, Yamato versus Minora, Skywalker versus Sakamoto. There's been so many good big matches this year. And yet, you could call this year underwhelming. And I don't know what to do with that. And it's my job to analyze it, but I can't figure out why that is. Obviously, the big shows not being home runs, Dead or Alive not being great, having the King of Gate shows in the environment that they did, having that Cork and King of Gate show canceled, I think that hurts because that's a show that every year we can typically point to a bunch of big singles matches in front of a hot Cork and Hall crowd. That is a big show on the Dragon Gate calendar, in my opinion. 
it seemed like World and Speedstar Final had a ton of eyeballs on it this year, but they had eyeballs that were there for that weekend and for that weekend only. Those eyeballs checked out immediately afterwards. It didn't seem like Dangerous Gate had a ton of buzz, and I thought that was a pretty good show. Yamato versus Minora, again, borderline top 10 match this year. And then Gate of Destiny, a show that I really liked, a match at four and a half stars, a match at four and a quarter stars. And yet, if you ask me, gun to my head, is it underwhelming? I'm, I'm probably going to be honest. It was a little underwhelming. And that's just, it, it's been the entire promotion this year. And I, I don't know why that is. And I don't know what to do with that. But it is a cloud hanging over Dragon Gate in 2021. And it's something that I think why this Corkin felt so refreshing in a way was there's a lot of clear directions coming out of this cork and going towards gate of origin and going further past that like we have pretty much at least on paper the gate of origin card or at least we have like all right we know two of the title matches at gate of origin there will be two title matches there they're making it into a thing since yamato's from there essentially (laughs) but uh it's something where like we have someone who should be the next challenger for the uh, for the brave gate and that's a big match at least if they if they decide not to run it where i think they're going to run it and actually put it on the network that's a big match and then you look at like okay we have definite direction in the masquerade versus red feud like we have probably not the finale coming up on december 1st but we have probably the thing that's going to be like the 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 acceleration to the finale acceleration to the climax of this feud and now we have the interesting element now of pros del mal de hapon being about and you know the the fact that they had like i I, i'll lay my cards on the on the table after ultimo came back there's not a lot of things i could safely in my mind case say okay that would legitimately surprise me. But having Yohei close out a Cork and Hall show 12 years after leaving the promotion in the way he did legitimately surprised me. Like, I have a very short list of people in my brain case that I was like, all right, I don't expect them to ever be back. Some of them for, like, not negative reasons, some of them for negative reasons. But near the top, I would say that the former Ryoma, Yohei, was was dead like chiseled into this list that now i'm like all right well that's off that list and you know it's made the promotion it gives it the as i said earlier like we have the direction now closing out the year i'm amazed that drangate is currently living on a time and place where nozawa was in the main event of a show yohei closed out the show with a promo and yet i am still covering dragon gate if you would have pitched that to me two years ago, I would have pieced out. I would have said, I don't know what awful future you have your crystal ball to. I don't know what this is. I want no part of it. But after one appearance in Dragon Gate, I am so into Paris Del Mal de Japon in this company, at least for a very short time. I don't know if I need... Uh, you know, a, a six-month stay here. I don't know if this is an extended stay that I'm necessarily looking for, but the short term, I think this is an absolute win. I love their presentation on this show. Well, it, and it's something that, like, we've talked about now for, I would say, about a month, about the Dragon Gate and Noah relationship deepening and now really showing, like, it used to be that you just see Dragon Gate people showing up, and now we've seen this past week pro wrestling Noah people appearing in Dragon Gate, and it's really fascinating. And it's something that, like, it's not, it's something that if they were just doing stuff around the Tokyo area, that would make sense to bring in Noah, you know? But now we have them at the biggest show of the year they have in Osaka. And traditionally, one of the uh, 
I wouldn't say it's one of the bigger Corkins of the year, but this is, I, I feel like the November Corkin is always one that kind of sets the deck for the remainder of the year. And being featured with like an outsider unit is something that's very interesting. Like if Paros de Molde Hippon just stay a Tokyo area kind of thing, I think that's a great move for now, at least for like the immediate future. Like you said, like if they're really sticking around, then we have some conversations to, to have here. But like if they're just sticking around here, it, it's something that I think is going to provide an interesting edge. And we've seen it like providing a facet, like, like just the fact that Ada is a part of this and the way that R.E.D. in particular, he is reacting to it. It's an interesting facet to the unit and to the unit R.E.D. And it's something that as we get to the end of the year and to what I anticipate will be the conclusion of the major overarching storyline in the company this year, Masquerade versus R.E.D., that is going to play into it. And I find that fascinating. They should work the Arakan schedule. They should be on every Tokyo show and the scrubs should maybe work a six man tag on the big five. And other than that, I should never see them. I, I should never have to see Nozawa's face on a, on a dire dry Kyoto KBS hall show. That's only going to make matters worse. But if they pop up in Tokyo for the next few months, I I'm really not going to mind it. Do you want to start? Let's just, let, let's start with that main event. Let's start with a twin game match. We're already talking about it. And I think there's a lot to dissect here. All right. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that's the, that's one of the two major overarching stories of the show, and then we can get into the other one afterwards. So, on the show, it'll be on the network until the 12th. Attendance 685, which, you know, that is a little bit up. I mean, we've been talking, or 683. They've been getting their sea legs back since Yoshino leaving, and the fact that 715 kind of is the core capacity, and the fact that they're doing that right now was kind of remarkable. This was for the Pro Wrestling Noah. GHC Junior Tag Team Championship match. It was the champion invading team, Peros de Mal de Japon of Eita and Nasawa Rongai versus the Masquerade Challenger team, Kota Minora versus Jason Lee. As this is a GHC title match, this was conducted under pro wrestling Noah rules with tag ropes and no... Uh, I, I, I guess like the best way to say it is like Dragon Gate refs will let people kind of flow in and out of the ring as need be. The referee here had a strict five count to get the uh, partners out of the ring, but it was the first successful defense for Paris Domal as Nasawa Rongai defeated Jason Lee with the Law Magistral after a Imperial Uno feeding into that. I thought there was greatness in this match. Again, Nozawa was heavily involved to a point where Jay commented, wow, Nozawa's been at the ring a really long time in this match. And sure enough, Nozawa had been in the ring a really long time during this match, but for as poor as he is as a wrestler, he did something at the very start of this match that immediately sucked me in. And had he not done this, I don't know if I would have enjoyed the match as much, but they do their customary title match photo shoot before the match. Liam Minora on one side, Eita Nozawa and the rest of the Peros crew behind them on the other. And Nozawa turns his back to the camera and it was such a small thing, but it was much like after Pac had attacked, I believe it was Yoshino he attacked during the, the Japanese National Anthem. And for the rest of Pac's reign, everybody was looking over their shoulder as the anthem played. This was just a small thing that Nozawa did. And I, I want to see him do it in every match now. It was subtle. It was cocky. It was arrogant. And it just added a layer to this match that I really think it needed because while Nozawa and Jason Lee had all right chemistry, and obviously Ata and Jason Lee were very good together, I, I hope this is only the beginning of a prolonged program between them. 
the chemistry between Nozawa and Kota Minoru was fascinating because they would trade forearms like this was a heated G1 match. And it was not Kota Minoru that came out on top of those exchanges. Okay. He kind of got domed by Nozawa for a little bit, which is, <laughs> is mind blowing to think about that Kota Minoru, who has pinned Ata this year, who has pinned Yamato this year, who has pinned KZ and Mochizuki this year. He's pinned BB Hulk this year. You think about the murderer's row of guys that he has put, been put over by and Nozawa objectively looks stronger than him in this match. And that, that, was a fault it was something i was not a fan of but in the moment my god it was fascinating to watch oh the shoulder block exchange like 14 minutes into the match (laughs) where they're working it like it's a g1 it was unbelievable (laughs) i mean i i don't know about you but i can't remember the last time where there was about a solid minute and a half of shoulder blocks where it was kota minora and nosawa where uh, Nosawa was powering through these shoulder blocks. <laughs> Kota Minora would bounce off the ropes and collect back into him. And Nosawa would barely sell. Like the most he would do is squat down and act like it hurt him. And then you finally put him down here. And it was just kind of fascinating. Like just like the interaction in this match. Uh, the, the person that really stood out to me, I, I know that you were really sucked in by Nosawa in the opening. Ata working completely different in this match, I thought was remarkable. And I thought that's a testament to Ata because I would say that this kind of like with RED, like he has a very kind of like confirmed RED style. I would say like, like we know Ada as a dragon gate heel, what he does, how he works, how he interacts here. This was more like just traditional Rudo Ada. Like this is something that I wouldn't say really was when millennials would bend a little bit heel maybe but it was kind of reminiscent of that and it was just very fascinating the way that coda that coda menor and jason lee now used to working ada consistently now for the last three years especially ada as a heel and even more so this year the way that ada kind of flipped the script in this match i thought it was just really remarkable I don't know if Ata's next move is going to be that big baby face. I hope it is. That That's obviously something we've talked about on the show over the past month, month and a half, is that I, I really want to see what Ata as a 1A baby face looks like in this promotion. But it becomes more and more apparent as time goes on to me that at least for my taste, at least for what I like, I think most of Ata and R.E.D. has been the worst use of him. Not, of course, in the terms of the way he's been booked, but in the terms of his presence and his in-ring style, I think it's the least interesting version of him that we've seen because I loved what Ata was doing in this match. I love when he's calculated and he's cunning and he's, you know, I, I like him as, as, you know, even a technical heel, a thoughtful man's thinking wrestler who still cheats in the end. I like that far more than sleazy barbed wire board Ata. And we got a glimpse into to what that could be, even in Drangi, just an altered character. And, and I, I like it so much. I've been his biggest critic over the past three or four years, but I still love him and I still think there's so much there. But it was really, I'm glad you said that because it was enlightening in this match to see him in a Drangi environment, but not succumbing to the tendencies he's had over the last three years. And I, I think he's much better off not working that heavy handed over the top heel style that Drangate often produces. I don't think that's him at his best. This was him in a very, very good state. And it's something that like shows, and it's something that we've talked about, something that Jay has brought up when he's appeared on the show, 
how over Ada is. Like the fact that like the the like the two like big crowd takeaways were you had a lot of people in Peros t-shirts out there, and whenever Ata was kind of like playing to the crowd and Nosawa too, the crowd was behind them in a way that it kind of came off more as like a cool heel versus a sleazy heel. The other remarkable thing, and all credit to Gaora for this, was when they cut to the crowd, there was an entire row of people with uh, Kota Minora towels. And it wasn't just like <laughs> two or three. Like we're talking like four to five of them. And they a were row. decked out. They looked awesome. That was a tremendous camera shot. That was really, really good stuff. They were here for the Gears of War. I, I, I know his nickname is Seven, the Seven Color Suplex, but Gears of War makes a lot of sense. Like, or Gears of Battle. I knew he had that on his gear for a while. Like it was something remarkable. So it, it it's something that like this match is very fascinating with me, and it kind of like proves some points about both like the confidence they have in Kota Minora. Now, if you look at how they position him in Tokyo, it's very remarkable considering he's now headlined the major Tokyo area show of the year. He is also now headlined several Corkins and in tokyo and yes uh yes jason lee took the fall and jason lee came in for the like was the glue to like make sure that because minonora and nosawa was fascinating and that's fascinating we're saying that in a certain context there but uh you, you like look at it but like minora is like such a budding star here and it's something that like we talk about like putting it all together like taking it to the next level and it's very clear how the company really really believes in this guy as they should again i i I still think we have drastically underrated how good menorah is throughout his career because he was someone that was good from the jump debuted in july of 2018 by august of 2018 the kid was pretty damn good and he has only elevated his game sets he was put into a very odd predicament in this match, I, I guarantee Minora has never wrestled a match like this before, where, again, for lack of a better word, he was domed by Nozawa. I, I don't see him working any. Pro, what, what's the Mudo promotion? Pro Wrestling Masters? Is that what, what what's it called? That's what it was called. But I don't think there's been a Pro Wrestling master shows in COVID. I mean, well, I, the, the, well yeah, yeah. I, the, you know what? <laughs> and there shouldn't be And good on Mudo. I, I criticize KG Mudo a lot. Good on him for not running retirement home pro wrestling during the novel coronavirus. That is a positive for Mudo. My point there is Menorah has not really been in an environment where he's worked with outsiders or especially older wrestlers who have an ego that far exceeds what he's used to within dragon gate he was put in a very interesting position here i thought he pulled his weight like you said jason lee absolutely the glue that kept this match together and then i i loved the finish you know they emphasized on english commentary throughout the entire match about how this was no tag rules about how you needed to make the tags about how this was different than your usual dragon gate match and what happens at the end the referee is distracted Ata comes in the ring. He cleans Jason Lee's clock with an Imperial Uno, takes his head right off, and Nozawa is able to get the easy win. It all came together. This, honestly, is like a Drangate match for people that don't like Drangate. There was a lot of thought and a lot of creativity put into spots in this match where, of course, everybody listening to this podcast knows that Drangate is the most creative promotion tons of psychology flowing out of this promotion at all times up and down the card but there are people that are a little dense they don't 
always understand that. And this was perhaps a more palatable version of an open the twin gate match than, than people that often detract from this promotion. Just so we, we know, uh, the last time I could find a pro wrestling master show was was February 28th, 2020. So really kind of getting close there. Would you say <laughs> uh, February 20? Oh, now, now I, I got to look at this card. Hold on. I'm, I'm pulling. Oh, do you have the card here? Will you read me the card? All right. So the opener was it was Hisakatsu Oya versus Mitsuo Momoda. 15 minute time limit draw. Heat, King Lee and Tiger Emperor defeat Tokyo Gurantai, Fujita, Mazada, Nasawa, Hiro Saito and your favorite wrestler, Yukata Yoshi defeat uh, Shinjiro Tani and, and Tatsuhito Takaiwa. Uh, Hisei Ishigun defeat Dick Toko, Hanzo, Jinsei Sasaki, and the great Sasuke. And the main event, Tatsumi Fujinami, Yoshiaki Fujiwara defeat Kenji Muto and Super J. Super J, Jeff, Jeff Farmer. Farmer. Yeah. yeah. A what proud an, what, employee what, what, what of an the awful, what, what an awful show. I mean, my God. There is, there is absolutely nothing... I want not even for fun. There's nothing I want to watch on that show. 1328 attendance. Russell one would that's... kill for that attendance. Oh my God. I know. I, I'm surprised that didn't uh, help them last another month or so. So it's, it's something that like this match was so fascinating. And I think the fascination with it case really kind of pulls itself together when you combine it with, uh, the fact that uh, afterwards uh, they had the champions uh, do the go home and it was Nosawa and Ata very quickly just talking, you know, just running down. Nosawa saying like, oh, it's been a while since I've been back here. Uh, uh, I'm more than glad to coming back. Thank you all for putting up with me. He actually said, thank you for putting up with me. But, oh, we should have more Dragon Gate challengers. How about Real Hazard? How about Monster <laughs> Outlaws? And Ata had to go. No, the, the those 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 units have been dead for a long time, Nosawa. I know you worked with them, but no, no, no. And then Ada decided instead of him closing down the show, he gave the microphone to Yohei, who very cheekily just uh, said, "Hey, it is Dragon Gate alumnus Yohei here. Thank you very much for having me. Dragon Gate's the best. Good night." And the awkward palpitation about that just called off the screen. It was he had a great shit eating grin the entire time, and that's what closed out the November fifth Cork and Hall show. So, real quick, two things: one, Nozawa's Muscle Outlaws poll tremendous, laughed uproariously when he listed Real Hazard and Muscle Outlaws as possible next challengers. Good shit from Nozawa, arguably the best night of his career because he did a few different things that entertained me, and normally. He lays a goose egg when it comes to K-Slow Entertainment in Nozawa. Mike, I'm going to put you in a position you don't want to be in, but you're the guy to do it. Briefly, and I mean briefly, explain why Yohei returning to this promotion is kind of a big deal. Okay, so I'm looking at the time of our recording case, and I'm going to try to do this in under three minutes. That would be so- great. So Yohei was a member of the 2009 rookie class along with one Kenshin Shikano. In 2009, there is an infamous incident that's often referred to as the monkey incident, in which, and this is one of those things that has greatly kind of changed with internet telephone 
uh, what people perceived happened and what actually happened just because the way the internet works and cacheting and all of that. Essentially, uh, Shima at the time had a pet monkey that when he got married and left the dojo, he left the monkey there. At the time, I've never got this confirmed, but it is my belief that Shingo Takagi was the dojo manager. He was still kind of a young guy, but that's usually a role they give like the most senior young guy there. And a student and a, a dojo student and Yohei uh, were kicked out of the dojo because Yohei posted a vlog a blog back when dragon gate used to do all kinds of blogs everyone had a blog they would post it all the time and yohei did a blog basically saying look at all the situations this dummy monkey gets into and it had photos of monkey abuse and soon after there was a lot of punishment with people who were involved some of the people who were in the dojo at the time people who were punished that weren't specifically like a part of like the incidents and the photos, like the big internet thing was, oh, Shingo Takagi's holding the neck of a monkey. You don't need to go search out the photos if you want to. They're not pleasant photos. But it's something that at the time there was like no, there was like no indication that the pe- person in the photo was Shingo Takagi. But people were punished for this. Yohei, who recently debuted in Dragon Gate, he took the name of Ryoma, who was someone who fixed Sh- Shima's neck when it was broken. And because of this, uh, Kenichiro Arai, like the big thing that that people say is like, oh, he was a whistleblower. He was not a whistleblower. He was a he was a young man posting something because he thought it was funny. And Kenichiro Arai saw the blog and he was like, this is messed up. And he was the one that kind of like pulled everyone in here. Uh, Shingo Takagi was punished for this. He shaved his head and took a salary deduction. Shima was punished for this. Shaved his head, took a salary deduction. Uh, the president at the time, President Okamura, took took less pay. Uh, Kagatora was uh, insinuated in this and took a punishment. Akira Tozawa was mentioned as a part of this. I don't remember. I don't think he was punished for this whatsoever. Yohei was sent back into the dojo. He basically said, like, you have a one-year suspension. He left before the year left. Left wrestling, reappeared in Funaki, uh, show Funaki's uh, dojo in San Antonio, Texas. And the kid in the dojo who was a part of, like, the, uh, the blog, like, playing together the blog, was kicked out of Dragon Gate. Please, next time this comes up on Reddit, send them the link to this podcast. That would make all of our lives much, much easier. Well yeah, done, Mike. Go ahead. Yeah, just one last thing. Like, and the reason why I say like the caching and things like this, like the things that stuck with Shingo Takagi and Shima, really, and Yohei kind of through all of this was kind of like viewed because he was kicked out of this as a scapegoat when that wasn't the case. I mean, he was a. I, I'm not saying this being negative on Yohei, but he was being a shithead kid posting a blog. And uh, did he engage in monkey abuse? I don't know. I followed the promotion at the time. I just know that he posted this blog here that was basically saying, make fun of this shithead uh, monkey. Should Shingo have had a better handle on the people in the dojo if he was the dojo manager? Absolutely. Like that's his responsibility, especially with how that system works there. But because of how the internet works, the, with the way that like, things are cached, a lot of the original reporting is off the internet. The blog, of course, way off the internet. The monkey got placed into a uh, got placed into a zoo. It's it's worth noting. Like the big thing about Shima was that he did not register the monkey as an exotic animal because you know he just didn't think of it, and he took responsibility for it. So that's what actually happened with that. So. From a moral standpoint, 
Yohei being back in the promotion is whatever. I am of the belief it was 11 years ago. He did his time. He's it, for me. It's it's not. I don't want to say water under the bridge because that minimizes it. I'm not personally bothered by Yohei being back in the promotion. I reached out to someone in Japan. I asked, "Hey, what's the vibe here? Are people upset about this?" Because I, I when Yohei cut that show closing promo, my Twitter feed lit up of you know, oh my god, I can't believe Yohei's talking in Dragon Gate. And the person got back to me and said, you know, essentially the situation is what you make of it, depending on what story you know and what you believe is going to determine how you feel about it. But it was also 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And, you know, I it, I don't know if second chance is the right word, but to me, it's whatever, he's back. I, I'm not up in arms about it. I don't really think people should be up in arms about it. It's just one of those things, time has passed, whatever, whatever. He was a young kid. He made a mistake. He can move on from that. From an entertainment standpoint, boy, oh boy, did I like his shit-eating grin in Cork and Hall. I really, really liked the execution of his show-closing promo. Unfortunately, we're probably going to have to watch him wrestle at some point, which I don't want to do. That is uh, probably what I'm more offended by of anything from Yohei's career is his is god-awful wrestling. But boy, oh boy, did I really like the execution of Yohei closing out a Dragon Gate Cork and Hall show. Yeah, if we're going to get more Paros and Dragon Gate, can we get Hidaka and Suzuki and Eita as a trio? And just the other two can just be good heels, you know? But, well, well, like, that's probably the best we can hope for out of this, but we're probably not. I just, like, here's the thing. Like, living through it, I just never felt the desire to seek out Yohei matches. So I don't think I've watched a Yohei match in 12 years since he got kicked out of the promotion just because i didn't have the urge to uh well whenever like we've like have talked to people like this like it's usually something that of course you know you don't really bring it's something that's not really brought up by the company for obvious reasons and it's usually just kind of you know that was an unpleasant time it's referred to as like the unpleasant time and i just never had the desire to watch him wrestle since no no and you're not you're not missing anything there at least from what i've seen of his work in noah but again it's amazing drangate's main event overshadowed i guess not overshadowed but heavily featuring nozawa and yohei and in the end i'm giving it two thumbs up i thought it was tremendously entertaining and i i just it's hard to believe that i'm saying that out loud and that i mean it but i really do i really liked what peros brought to the table during this entire segment from the opening match photograph ceremony to the closing match show promo this was good stuff Absolutely. Should we work backwards because the next big angle is kind of the other big thing that happened at the semi-main event? Let us work backwards. I am ready to talk about this as well. All right. So the semi-main event was billed as the last ever match, like drag at least by Dragon Daya. No one else believed it. Jay <laughs> didn't believe it on commentary. <laughs> That's Ho-ho actually was kind of a, a very good point. Drangate did not build us as the final meeting between the two. Right. Dragon Daya did as did though. Yeah, this was a singles match that's been building for a year. Dragon Daya versus Daya Inferno went to a known contest in 11 minutes and 8 seconds with the uh, basically everything broke down. Uh, Dragon Daya unmasked, uh, uh, unmasked Daya Inferno. I think we mentioned who it was obliquely like once when we knew who it was here. It's very clearly Yuki Yoshioka. We can say that now. Like we're not breaking kayfabe here. Like ever, like that's a part of the storyline here. Shun Skywalker immediately got super pissed off because he refuses to believe that Dragon that that Dai Inferno is Yushiokioka when it's patently clear this. Like to the point that he stated, I have messaged him, I've talked to him, and he's in Mexico, and he said, "No, I'm not. 
I'm not Di Inferno. I'm in Mexico. Maybe you should like go get like a uh, maybe you should FaceTime your bro, man. I mean, you lived with him for a year. Uh, this led to Dragon Daya doing a Lucha de Puestas challenge. Uh, this was immediately everyone was like, Dragon Daya, what are you doing? Like, you have like a special role here. You are Dragon Kid's heir. You're the heir to the Dragon Legacy. That's such a big thing. You really want to put this on stake? Put this essay here. Even General Manager Rio Saito said that. And he said, no, I, this is, this is who I say he is. I'm going to prove it. And then Rio Saito decided, all right, that's cool. We'll have a, we'll have a Lucha de Puesta, but also we're going to be having Shun Skywalker and Diamante a part of it because y'all have just been going at it for the last few months. We are, I'm tired of this. Like there's only one way away that this can settle. And by the way, no seconds allowed. R.E.D. and Masquerade banned from ringside, and the person who loses the fall will be the one person that unmasked. It's not a double apuestas. It's just the loser of the fall, and that's set up for December 1st. Before we talk about the post-match angle, Mike, briefly, what are your thoughts on this match? I really dug it. Like, I, it's a shame. That, like, it makes pull sense why it needed to go to a no contest, because this was going to be an apuestas match, and just like this if there were betting on dragon gate the safest bet you can make is the fact that uh the the fact that uh die inferno is losing his mask like safest bet you can make right now and i thought that this was perfect in a way i thought that i liked the way that like the match evolved i thought that the ashka pillar done there was really tight and i just like loved like little little touches here like the look of shun skywalker who was dragon daya's uh second when inferno went up top and hit the frog splash like he looked stunned but looked in disbelief in a way and that's a very hard emotion to pull off when you have your eyes covered in a mask and i thought that was awesome there was mask tearing there was mask ripping it just was all that i wanted from a feud that i've been critical of for a while and came around to truly loving it. And I think this was like the perfect, uh, the, the perfect rising action to lead to this Apuestas match. Yeah. And this match had a clean finish. Let's say this was actually the blow off to Daya versus Daya Inferno. It would have gotten four stars or higher from me because they were really doing some great work. And you mentioned that spot specifically, the Daya Inferno frog splash, which obviously if you've you know started watching the promotion within the past year, you might not know, but that is one of Yuki Yoshioka's signature moves. Yuki Yoshioka, we've known this entire time, has been under the mask. It didn't take a genius to figure that out. We didn't have insider sources letting us know, wink, wink, that it was Yuki Yoshioka. We did put two and two together and realize that it was for that. It was Yuki Yoshioka as Daya Inferno. Frog Splash in this match, perfectly timed. Got a really nice reaction, like you said, from the people at ringside, from the crowd they reacted to it. I thought Jay and Ho-Ho had a very appropriate reaction to it because it's, to my knowledge, at least that I can remember, the first time that he has done that Frog Splash under it the is. mask. Yes, exactly. And then they build to this finish. And I personally think the the addition of Skywalker and Diamante into this match, into this feud, really, is fascinating. And I wish they would have gotten to this a little bit sooner because we've really, really seen to the fullest extent what Daya versus Daya Inferno looks like. We've seen what they look like in multi-man matches. We've seen what they look like in singles matches. We've seen clean finishes. We've seen DQ finishes. 
Dragon Dia was hurt for a few months, and it still it was it, we've just we've been ready for this to be over, and I think part of that is because we've known who's under the mask the entire time. And if you're a newer fan and you haven't seen Yuki Yoshioka, Yuki Yoshioka work, he's very very good. He is a future player in this company. Okay, he is going to be a top of the line guy, a Dreamgate challenger at the very least at some point in his career. I have been wanting to get to that point because for as much as I have liked this feud for the most part, I know that there's another evolution of this coming. I know there's another step in the process that is getting the mask off of Yoshioka. And I like that with a month left in this build, it's like, all right, well, he we saw his face. He's clearly under the mask and Shun is in denial of it. And Shun is preaching this etiquette of masked wrestlers and you shouldn't unmask somebody unless you know the stakes are appropriate. That's that's wrestling at a higher level. That's that's a, a very interesting angle to take, not even in terms of using the word angle in wrestling vernacular, but just in terms of wider storytelling. I think that's a really, really unique story that they're trying to tell here. And I like it because assuming Diane Inferno does get unmasked and I would be absolutely shocked if any other result takes place. I think Diamante will eventually lose his mask because he is such a handsome fella and I think he's going to lose it in Mexico to Ultimo Dragon. I don't see Daya ever losing that mask. I don't see Shun ever losing that mask. So the result here is pretty obvious. But we are going to f- face a situation on the 1st of December where now Shun Skywalker is going to have to test his loyalty to either Dragon Daya, who he's been fighting with for an entire year in this well-oiled machine that is Masquerade, or he's going to have to fight his brother-in-arms, the person he traveled countries with, traveled continents with, during a global pandemic, and they spent their time in Mexico suffering to some degree. It was not the excursion they envisioned. It was actually hell on earth for a little bit. And he's, you know, that's a bond that you cannot break, and now that is going to be tested in this match. I am fascinated by what is going to be the outcome of not the mask versus mask match, but the fallout of the mask versus mask match. This is compelling storytelling. I don't know where it's going, but if there is one promotion that I trust to stick the landing in all of this, it is Dragon Gate. So I have like two big points that I wanted to kind of lay out here. I think that having Yoshioka unmask, you now have the real generational rival to Shun Skywalker. And I think that's big because you look at how the class of 2016 shook out. Benkei was elevated quickly. They always had a plan for Benkei. And then we kind of see maybe they had, they had a plan for Benkei and they got to a point where we don't know what the plan is now. Like they had a plan <laughs> to a point, to a point yet Hyo who found his nice little niche here. But really like you have Shun Skywalker and you have Yuki Yoshioka who, if you've not watched Yoshioka matches, they're up on the network. The, like the comp that I remember us putting on him is like, he kind of like of the class, he was like the Susumi Yokosuka of the class. Like he was like nails as a technician. He was just, he, he could do pretty much whatever you needed to do out of the ring. He's a little bit, he, he had something that like, he had like the look really that worked for Dragon Gate. And I just think like Shun versus uh, Yoshioka is such a interesting, compelling storyline for the reasons you laid out here of like what it, what led uh, Yuki Yoshioka to want to go masked as as Daya Inferno. What led him to want to go after Dragon Daya? How is it going to be when he is unmasked and he's face to face with Shun Skywalker? I think that that's 
there's a lot there. And I think that that's something that has a lot of meat on the bone. And I really hope that they do spend 2022 exploring that because I think that that's really fascinating. Like I can't like, I don't want like the whole, as much as it's my favorite match in a company history and it's my favorite storyline company history. I don't want the idea of how darkness dragon unmasked and then started teaming with dragon kid for a couple of months before do fixer came about like that fake face turn. I don't want that. I, there's, there's, there's ways to go here and I'm really interested with that. And on the other hand, I think that Diamante, like, yes, if he loses the mask in Mexico, it has to be in those circumstances just because of, to my understanding, like he's just tied to Ultimo. And after he kind of left CMLL, like he's like not to besmirch the guy. And I don't mean this negatively. It's not that his mask holds a lot of value in Mexico outside of the match with Ultimo. And really, I feel like if that match happens in Mexico with Ultimo, it's really Ultimo getting a mask match, like winning a mask there. Whereas in Dragon Gate, I think Diamante's mask has a lot of value. Like the fact that he, if he loses the mask in front of Dragon Gate fans and then they decide to go like face turn with him, I think there's a lot there. Like I would want to see Diamante lose his mask in Japan. Yeah, it's coming eventually. Again, he is just literally too handsome to be a masked wrestler. I mean, I, I, at this point, I, I 100% believe that. And, you know, I, he, he's someone who just fascinates me. I wonder if there are us indie promoters. And I, I know the answer is probably no, because I don't think any of them are watching Dragon Gate, which is a whole other issue, but I would just love to know if there are indie promoters going, God, what if I could get my hands on Diamante? All the things I could do with him. I mean, I, I really think if he showed up on any high-level U.S. indie show, he would uh, you know, be an unknown going in and then would right. be one of the most over people in the building leaving that night. He has one-night star potential written all over him. And I, I, I hope he stays in Dragon Gate. You know, we lost mm-hmm. Cosmo, and it really bummed me out. Diamante has much higher ceilings elsewhere. I don't know the Mexico scene well enough to know if he could come back and be a star there. I, I do know that we are seeing him used to his fullest capabilities and and the best possible outcome of him in Dragon Gate, and I'm really enjoying it. But I, I do wonder at some point if that mask comes off and all of a sudden there's a, a global race to sign him and lock him up because he's going to be an incredibly talented, incredibly handsome luchador on the market. Well, let me throw this one U.S. Indies match that I'll tell you where it should happen, and I'll tell you who it's with, and you'll get mad for a second. Oh, boy. Warrior Wrestling versus Dante Martin. <laughs> why That's the promotion be, where it could happen. Why, why can't it be AAW? I watch AAW. AAW is good. Warrior Wrestling is where it's... Uh, it's Wrestle Circus North or yeah, Midwest. Yeah, it's, it's where good matches go to die. It's the same deal as... I, like, I remember Smash Wrestling in Toronto used to book these great matches on paper that I would watch them. And there was just something very off putting about it. And warrior. Do I think they're funneling money into this or laundering money into this promotion? Maybe, maybe not. That's all alleged. Please don't sue me. Mr. Warrior wrestling. I would, I would love to see Dante Martin versus Diamante. We're actually going to talk about Dante Martin later on in the show. Mike doesn't know that yet though. Uh, But yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Real quick on Yuki Yoshioka as we move away from how uh, attractive Diamante is and possible us indie dream match tours. Two Yuki Yoshioka match recommendations that are on the Drangate Network. If you are a subscriber and you want to perhaps refresh your memory as to how good Yoshioka can be, or you know, if you're new to the promotion, you would like to check this guy out. These are 
on the network. Two recommendations here. One, The Gate of Destiny 2018. There is a triangle gate match between Naruki Doi, Jason Lee, and Kaito Ishida, KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Genki Horiguchi, and then the trio, and this is important given what we just talked about, of Masaki Mochizuki, Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka. I love that match at the time. I have no doubt that it holds up. And then if you want a match from 2019, this is on the January 26th Kobe Sambo Hall Show, and it is Kaito Ishida, Masato Yoshino, and Naruki Doi versus Hyo Watanabe, Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka. Those are both on the network, and those are two matches I would go out of my way to watch if you need Yoshioka matches to watch. And you should watch him. Like, I might go back and rewatch some Yoshioka matches before they come back, you know? Like, just because, like, he was such a fun wrestler then, and, and now that we're on the precipice of having him back as Yuki Yoshioka and not as Daya Inferno, I'm really, really excited. Uh, should we work backwards, I guess, for the rest of the show, just going down the card that way? We got to talk about high. Let's, yeah, let's keep going backwards. We got to talk about high end. Yeah, we got to talk about high end. Real oh my defeated. God, you, you, you entered your Triple H voice for a second. And listen here, brother. We got to talk about the uh, one stable in Dragon Gate that's just not working. And guess what, brother? They're going head to head in a tag team match. It was Yamato and Kagatora versus Benkei. And Dragon Kid Benkei got the win on Kagatora with a spear in 12 minutes, 44 seconds. In the pre match, uh, Keisuke Akuda came out. He apologized for all the hubbub about his injury and announced that he's going to be focusing on his upcoming rising fight and then we'll be back afterwards. And this, I hated this match, Case. This match just, it was soulless. It was just like perfunctory. And poor Dragon Kid, he was doing all he could, but Corkin did not care. Uh, good job by Jay and uh, Ho-Ho saying like, well, they don't know who to cheer for. Usually it's a clear divide and you could be able to tell like, your guys versus other teams, and you'd be able to cheer for this. But if you're a high end fan, like you're, you're, you're left to choose. Like that, that's a good cover. But Corkin sat on their hands for 12 minutes, and it just, for me, it was like as much as I could dislike a match that nothing technically wrong happened. Now, other than yourself, and obviously other than the English commentary team. I feel like on this side of the world, I follow Drangate about as closely as anyone does. But I also, over the past few months, I've had an incredibly busy personal life. And for as much as I try to consume, every once in a while, I miss something. Did I miss something? Or is it not fucking clear why Ben K wants to beat Yamato so bad for the Dreamgate Championship? I have no idea. I have so, no idea why these two continue to fight in the same unit over this belt. So the uh, Jay said on commentary that when Yamato, after defeating BB Hulk, was calling out challengers and was listing out names, the fact that he left off Binke as a possible challenger was an insult, and that's why there was the backstage uh, interview and challenge. So it was a shadow challenge, essentially. It was what Yamato, yes. it was jazz. It was jazz music. It was what Yamato didn't say that really upset Ben K. I hate this. This is I it I sucks. tried to I tried to talk myself into this last week. I was like, Ben K is gonna come out in Cork and Hall. He's gonna work really aggressive. He's gonna spear Yamato. He's gonna look dominant. And we're gonna be all aboard the gate of origin. And I'm gonna be into this match. And I got news for you, Mike Spears. I am not into this match. Yeah, it's just it's a lame build up and yes it's in 
uh, Yamato's home uh, region is in Tohoku. It's in Sendai. He's from, uh, he's from down the road essentially. So like, it's important for them to have the match since they're making it this like, oh yeah, no, this is kind of like Yamato's like homecoming big show in a way. But like, there's a lot more interesting matchups you could have than doing a shadow challenge from like the one person in the company. I don't want to be cutting backstage promos. It's just bad. It's, it's just remarkable. That and I and I said this in the Voices of Wrestling Discord a few days ago. Yamato's title run, and it was the same issue when he was in Tribe Vanguard in 2016 and 2017. It feels like a WWE pay-per-view cycle where every month they start from scratch. Every month is a fresh slate, and it is exhausting. We were talking about Yamato's Tribe Vanguard run, and by the end of it, you know, between the Tozawa match. And the Doi match and that Hulk match in Cork and Hall, and then the Mochizuki match that ended the title run, those were objectively very good matches. But I think about Yamato versus Mochizuki from 2017, and I am turned off, fueled with hatred, and almost just bummed out at the thought of that match because I was so just disappointed and uninterested in the promotion as a whole by the time Yamato's run had gone on that long. I don't feel the same way about it now because I think there's so many other interesting things going on in Dragon Gate that I more so just have to put up with this title run. But there was all the bullshit with Kai and Ben K and Mochizuki leading up to Dangerous Gate, and then they did the right thing. They put Minora in the match, and I don't know if that was the long-term plan. I don't know if that was a, an emergency decision that they did, but it should have been Yamato versus Minora at Dangerous Gate, and they did that, and it was very enjoyable. And then we had this hard reset, and all of a sudden, BB Hulk is challenging for the belt, and we go through a, a month of Hulk versus Yamato, and I was very complimentary of the build. I said, I do not want to see this match, but technically, step for step, they are doing all of the right things to get me entertained and interested in Hulk versus Yamato. And sure as shit, they go out there and they have a great match. And I know that three or four weeks from now when Gate of Origin happens, we're going to be talking about how Yamato versus Ben K was a four and a half star match and a satisfying way to end a fun Gate of Origin show. And then we're going to reset. And then whoever challenges him for the belt at the final gate, it's going to be like, oh my God, it's it's this again. And it's never exciting and it never builds momentum. And it is exhausting because at least with Skywalker's run, which I really think as time goes on, we are we are going to be able to appreciate that Dreamgate run more and more and more because there were just numerous, numerous match of the year contenders, not in great matches, but legitimately high end top 10 caliber matches in that run. You go from the Ben K match, which ends awkwardly, but at least you're able to build some momentum there. And then you have Skywalker versus Kaito Ishida, and I was fired up for that match. Those are two of my guys. I liked the build to it. I was into that story, and it was one of the five best matches I've seen this year. The Sakamoto story made sense. Match was great. It was interesting. The Kakuta match, obviously a disaster, but building up to it, man, I was into that youngest Dreamgate match of all time. They're doing it on a big five pay-per-view show. That's cool as shit. I'm into that. You have all of this buildup to Skywalker versus KZ and Kobe. Think about how much we dissected that match. What could happen if KZ wins? What could happen if Shun wins? What's going to happen if Yamato leaves the weekend as champion? And he beats both of those guys. 
It was all because Skywalker was the catalyst there. Shun was so good in that reign. He did so many good things month to month to keep me entertained. And with Yamato, it is just this soulless trek of great matches that ultimately mean nothing. It's the same thing. It's the same reign as it was five years ago. And I'm trying to be really careful about not repeating the same Yamato points week to week on this show. But we are seeing the same mistakes from five years ago. It's the same reign. It, it is exhausting to sit through. Well, he did promise a great reset. Yeah. <laughs> and, and boy, has he done that on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I pretty much co-sign what all you said there, Case. Yeah, I, I was just letting you cook at that point. Like, it's it's just frustrating. It, it's inherently frustrating because it's one of those things that I would say as someone, I, I'm not as good at being on the pulse of things, at least amongst, like, international fans as you are. But I'm of the belief that whenever Dragon Gate has, a, has really strong Dreamgate matches with hot programs and the unit warfares going that's when international interest is kind of peaks like as much as we are sickos for the rookies and futures and stuff like that the, the, the that's stuff you know for the real ones but you know but for like people to like kind of dip their head in like your dave melters or whatever it, it it's reliant on like the the top of the card and then what the unit landscape is right now but you're looking at a top of the card that is perfunctory at best with uh, these Yamato runs, because we've seen them all before, basically. Like, as you said, it's, it's a carbon copy. And then we have High End, which, I mean, least convincing uh, Super Face unit in a long time since early Tri-Vanguard, I would say. And it's just like the heart. That when Yamato promised the reset, we got the reset that he was promising. So l- l- let's talk about some interesting stuff, though, Case. Let's talk about stuff that's not going to frustrate us. Uh, the uh, match four was Masquerade versus R.E.D., and we got to see some new teams from both sides, as it was Shun Skywalker and La Estrella versus Diamante and Hyo. Hyo pinned La Estrella with a backdrop suplex hold in nine minutes and eight seconds. And uh, before I give my thoughts, Case, what, were your, what was your takeaway from this match four? Kawada-esque from Hyo, really digging into his King's Road tapes and pulling out a beautiful backdrop driver, good for the biggest brain in pro wrestling. Look, whereas the high-end tag was, was like you said, about as unsatisfying of a match that wasn't technically flawed can be, this was the exact opposite. This wasn't a great match by any means. It, it felt like if Dragon Gate existed on American television, this was just a rock-solid, for lack of a better term, dynamite TV match incredibly satisfying from start to finish. I really, really liked this. Even if there were no, to me, major standout spots, uh, nothing that necessarily prolonged any angles here because we got the, the Skywalker Diamante stuff later on in the show. It's just a damn good match. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, my big takeaway from this match was we don't get to see a lot of Shun and Shreya tagging. They were a lot of fun together as a team. And you could kind of like this mentorship roles of Shun Skywalker and La Shreya I was really into. Diamante and Hio busting out the double great brain dance cracked me up. It just was a great time. And, you know, Hio showing that he has some power there, you know, throwing around one of the few people on the roster shorter than him. And that makes me wonder, oh, poor Hayakawa. He's going to get lawn darted by, by the end of all of this. But it, it was just a good time. It was a good time nine-minute match. So... 
Mike, we are approaching the end of 2021, as crazy as that is, and we're going to have to start thinking about our year-end awards, not only for this show, but for the Wrestling Observer Awards at the end of the year. And an award that I truly genuinely care about, and, and I like mapping, and I like seeing the historical significance of it as time goes on, is the Rookie of the Year Award. This year, Drangate has three wrestlers eligible in La Estrella, Ricky Hashi and Ishin Hashi. And then worldwide, uh, let me throw some names at you here. And I, I'd like to hear how you think they stack up against that Dragon Gate trio. Three guys that hit the ground running from the start have been very good now. In the case of the Ahashis for a month and a half for Estrella, luckily he debuted at the beginning of December last year. So we really have a full portfolio, a years long portfolio of his work. But names like Braun Breaker and Top Dalla and Bad Bunny from World Wrestling Entertainment. What about Dante Martin and Anthony Agogo, Jade Cargill, Brock Anderson? And if you're counting him, which Dave Meltzer says he is an active candidate in this in this uh, award, Shaquille O'Neal. Those are some names in America. New Japan has Kevin Knight. They have Yuto Nakashimi, Kosei Fujita, and Ryohei uh, Oiwa. And uh, then All Japan has the Saito Brothers, and Tokyo Joshi Pro has Indo and Arai eligible. Do any of those names stick out to you as stronger candidates than La Estrella or perhaps the Ahashi brothers? Well, I think if Dante Martin's in the category, he's going to run away with it. Yes. Like, it, it, it's a foregone conclusion. There's really, for the way that Dave sets up that award, there's no, this isn't going to be me talking about wanting to shove anyone who, who wants to vote for Dom uh, Mysterio into a locker instead of their lunch money. Like, like he's going to win that award here. Uh, I like uh, Arisu Endo a lot in Tokyo Joshi. I think that she's really strong. Uh, outside of that, uh, Case, you know better than to ask me about WWE rookies, man. Well, you know I, better you, than you've, you've watched as much of the promotion as I have. I, have. I have not seen a single second of that promotion outside of GIFs and Twitter clips all yeah. year. And let me tell you, that is the life to live. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I, I wonder if my dog would be entertained if I leave NXT 2.0 on as we record. Like, I feel like that's probably really good pet thing because it's bright vibrant colors but yeah <laughs> uh the interesting person there is jay cargill because she's so protected and they book her in such a specific way to show off her strengths that like i'm interested in seeing how her matches are going to go for the cbs title tournament because it's going to be she's going to be put in a situation where i think that when she's been put in situations where she's uh placed in, in, with people that you know really like can draw out her benefits and you know and she's not squashy well i think she looks really good but i think it's probably dante martin's probably a favorite and after that point you see that's difficult because you know i was lower on australia than you were initially i i've come around on him since he kind of i don't want to say guys act together but like really after he had the very rough may I, yeah, I think well, no, the, he he got his act together because he he debuted in december and in and, and those first two or three months through february was very entertaining to watch, but he was very protected. I mean, he was the closest trying to get his hand to a Jade Cargill situation in quite a while. And then they took the reins off. They took the training wheels off and he fell on his face in April and May. And we had discussions on this show about, you know, we, ooh, this this might not be everything that we thought it was going to be. And ever since then, ever since Dead or Alive, I have had no issues with him. He's worked very clean. He hasn't made any noticeable mistakes. I do think, and I'm saying this on the Dragon Gate podcast, if Dante Martin's eligible, Dante Martin needs to win this award. 
I fully believe awards are narrative-based, and to a large degree, I think they should be. And Dante Martin went from a non-entity at this point in pro wrestling last year to a legitimate guy to watch in the future. I would vote Dante Martin 1, La Estrella 2, Ricky Ihashi 3 if my ballot was due today. And as of the time we're, uh, as of the time we're recording this, Mike, remember, tomorrow night on Dynamite, it is Dante Martin and Leo Rush versus Matt Seidel and Lee Moriarty, which is a Dragon System offer match if there ever was one yeah, of AEW. Buddy. Yeah, with, buddy. With Matt Seidel, Dragon Gate alum, Lee Moriarty, a big proponent of Dragon Gate, Dante Martin, who, God, could you only imagine if they could get their hands on him, and Leo Rush, who uh, has, uh, we'll say, borrowed moves from some of the top stars in Dragon Gate. Oh, man, I am looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I am so incredibly stoked for this match. I did do a tweet earlier today that if we get one missile senton or the uh, flapjack uh, bulldog, because knowing, like, especially if, like, uh, Matt Seidel, I mean, he, he's been doing the lightning spiral. I don't know if he said specifically as an homage to Masato Yoshino, but, I mean, it's a lightning spiral. You're doing it for Masato Yoshino in the circumstances. And the fact that Lee Moriarty has gear in that way because he's such a Masato Yoshino fan, Holy crap, like this match is, and not to turn this into AEW light, this match is easily my most anticipated match of the week. Like this match, like if they make sure that this gets time and since this is AEW, they don't believe in having short matches on TV. I think this could be truly exceptional. Like, holy crap, case! like what are we doing here? <laughs> it's it's very nice not to get too off topic. Also, by the way, I think Dax Hardwood versus Pac is on that show tomorrow as well. So uh, Dax Hardwood's going to, have a good match for once in his life. Uh, it's just very exciting to see a, uh, again, a, a, a dragon system match for all intents and purposes on an American wrestling TV show. I am really excited to see what that match is tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this might be a pack might be feeling it the next day because of, you know, as much as he's going to be carrying, you know, his back won't hurt. Maybe <laughs> his back might, might hurt a great deal. Jim Crockett, leave a bait. Thank you so much for that suit. Williams. I, I that enjoy that. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that every single day of my life. Quite honestly, it gets me through every day. Oh gosh. Now I'm just imagining. I mean, yeah, that's perfect. It's perfect in every way. Can't get any better. Can't get any also, better. If we really want to double down on this, and we'll get through this Cork and Hall show in a second, but if we really want to double down on this, obviously the Seidel tag is a Dragon System match. Pac versus Dax Hardwood is going to show why Pac is good, and again, Jim Crockett, Leva Bates is not. Rocky Romero versus Brian Danielson. 2004 Young Dragons Cup winner in Toriumon, Mexico, Rocky Romero. The seeds of Ultimo Dragon are planted all throughout AEW Dynamite tomorrow, and it is a glorious thing to be a part of. It's uh, it's just it, it, it's fantastic. It's just Re fantastic. remember when when you enjoy Brian Danielson versus Rocky Romero, it's because of Ultimo Dragon, and don't you forget it. I mean, he is the advisor. I mean, he is the principal. I mean. God, it, it, and technically he is AEW canon. He is technically AEW canon at this point. I mean, he wished he wished Jericho a, ha a happy anniversary. So I mean, we and we know Tony will pay for separados. So oh, I I, I at some point, I, assuming this Stronghearts thing is dead, which look, I I would love to see tomorrow 
Shima, Lindemann, and T-Hawk back in the promotion. I mm-hmm. think they would still kill it there. I, I still think they, they could be a valuable asset for AEW, but I am you, now... You know what happened? Go ahead. Uh, I was, was going to say, you know what happened this week that really bummed me out? What was that? I was... I, I forget what I was watching on YouTube, but I had autoplay up. and Oh, I know what I was watching. I was watching, a, uh, I was watching an episode of AEW Uncensored, and after the episode was over, it went right into one of the episodes of Dark that they did when they had uh when it was preempted onto saturday nights a couple months ago and the first match straight up was young bucks versus lindemann and t-hawk i sat there and had dustin Rhodes on commentary and i was like having a good time but i was bummed i was incredibly bummed by that match yeah it's it's amazing to think like if you look back at the brief strong hard stuff in AEW, the matches that we got they're incredible now even with a little bit of hindsight and we should have gotten more. And I still think they're a valuable asset to AEW. I hope to see them in the promotion again. But I am under the assumption that is now a dead partnership, which means I think at some point we'll see Ultimo in AEW in some in in a, a one-off appearance. And I think that would be very cool. That would rock so much. I'm just I'm just looking forward to it. I'm just ready to to like hear the the horns start going for separados. Like it's gonna be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, but getting back to this Corkin show, we still have, this was a seven match Corkin show. It was a big one. Uh, we had the three way tag. It was Mochizuki and Kondo, Aganiso reuniting again versus the Natural Vibes team, King Shimizu, Jackie Funky Kame versus New Era Doi Yoshi, Naruki Doi, and Takashi Yoshida. In case I called it exactly, King Shimizu ate the fall. It was Takashi Yoshida with the Pineapple Bomber, and we have a Twin Gate match set up from that at gate of origin yeah you nailed this i don't have a ton of thoughts on this match thought it was fine for what it was i think shimizu and susumu versus yoshida and doi is going to be a very interesting match and i have a few weeks to sit on that prediction i'm not going to play my cards just yet i'm not sure what the result of that match is going to be and i'd like some more time to think about it sure thing uh i enjoyed it this might have actually been my favorite match on the show like from a match standpoint uh Jackie, you know, he's turned it on. He's he he's now fully made that step forward. Like like he's not letting SBK leave him in the dust. And I thought that he was the highlight of this match. And then we also had just it was just a lot of fun early. We did have like the lighthearted like six person Boston Crab. The, the the one spot at the end of the match that really cracked me up was uh, Shimizu did his double Samoan drop, but he did it with uh, Yoshida and Kondo, and then he started selling his back afterwards, and that, and that led right into the closing stretch. And I was like, Dragon Gate did it again. Dragon Gate did it again, and I I love this. Like it was not an amazing match, but on a show that had things that were either disappointing me on a essential level, like the high end tag, to just like things that were just decent match work wise. I thought this was the standout of the show. That's interesting. You're much higher on it than I was, but I also I I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said. It just did not strike me as being a match of that caliber. That's fair. It, it, I mean, it has my it has Kame in it, and you know how I feel about Kame, and Kame looks great right now, so I was up on it. Kame's on fire. It's it's exciting to see him really starting to find himself consistently on a show-to-show basis now. I mean, it's not a stroke of luck. It's not this, you know, first chapter of his career, him as a, a young boy where he's exceeding our expectations. We have high expectations for him now, and he's meeting those, if not surpassing them, and that is really nice to see. 
Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Uh, second match on the show, eight-man tag, Ultimo Dragon and the Strong Machine Army. They have all been fully reactivated for whatever reason. J, F, and G versus Kenichiro Rai without any Indy Sleaze titles to uh, Ho-Ho Loon's uh, disappointment. Uh, teaming with Problem Dragon and the Ahashi Brothers. Strong Machine J got the pen on Ishin with the machine suplex in 10 minutes and 45 seconds. And we might be having a second generation war going on here. Look, this is my favorite Strong Machine J match in a very long time. I did not realize he was as good of a mat wrestler as he was. He was able to show that off in this match. And perhaps it's just because of his injuries and the fact that he had that messed up shoulder and he seemed to, I, I, I'll say, he seemed to lose his body. Whatever that's going to be, it didn't seem like his body was up to the standard that it should be because of that injury. I kind of forgot that he's got some hoss in him, and that him and Ishini Hashi really took advantage of their size and of their strength in this match. I came away from this really happy with Strong Machine J, and I hope this is the start of a trend and not a one-off, because it seems like every time I'm able to get a little bit excited about him, something goes wrong. But this this was really exciting for me to watch. Yeah, and he has some natural, easy chemistry with Ishin, which I thought was pretty notable. And then, uh, I mean, F and G getting reactivated might have been the right move, because I thought that F with Ishin and Riki with G was pretty solid as well like this was very fascinating and ultimo you know i mean ultimo had a good time ultimo was there he was wearing bright green gear it was great i like that gear a lot he had a nice hot tag in this match he did he did yeah. all right yeah yeah he did he he did his spinning heel kick very well you know i i i, I <laughs> it was perfect for good for ultimo good for ultimo glad to see him here let me ask you this we've now seen the hashi brothers in 10 tv matches and they've been pinned by strong machine J. They've been pinned by Masaki Mochizuki, King Shimizu, Naruki Doi, Yasushi Kanda, Takashi Yoshida, and I think that's it, actually. That's that's the whole list. We've seen them lose 10 times on TV now. What does the Ahashi Brothers win look like? When's it happening? Who are they beating? And not from a fantasy booking perspective, but just thinking about momentum, where does that first win lead to? They're in a very unique position right now where they're pushed, and they're featured and they're over, but they're losing. And I'm having trouble figuring out what snaps that streak and what the next step is for them. Well, I know what the finish is. The finish is Riki with the Alcatraz. I mean, they're making a big deal about whenever he hits it, that is Koji Ishirikin's... Koji Ishirikin, that was terrible. Koji Ishirikin's uh, submission hold in SWS and WAR. I think that that's the finish. Who it's against, I feel like it has to be someone on the scrub tier. Just because it's very deliberate, the fact they're losing... I mean, losing the fall to Strong Machine J means more than losing to, like, Fuji, Kanda, and those. Because that, that's kind of their role right now. Exactly. But J, I, yes, J, J, that's exactly it, Mike. J, losing to J is very interesting. Because going into this match, you could have sold me that they would get their first win against Strong Machine J. Right, yeah. So... Do they get the pin against Strong Machine J? I or does he get the submission against Strong Machine J? I don't know. I think it's gonna be your problem dragon punch Tomonaga's your uh Yosuke San Maria tier. Just because it seems like they're being very deliberate about this and very slowly bringing them up there. And they shouldn't get the win against SMJ, you know, this early. They should be lo- winning against people who are usually in match zero, you know? 
Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what becomes of this, because you could I, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a scrub guy and we're going to start to see them build that momentum back up. And then you're going to see them beat the Kondas and the Kondos and the Mochizukis. And then they're eventually going to get those big wins over the Shimizus and Doys of the world. I would like to see that happen. Do you think I, I guess let me let me pose it to you this way. Do you think they get their first win by the end of 2021? I think I was expecting them to get their first win, but it wasn't going to be a direct fall like it Destiny, but it's clear now that they're being more deliberate with that. The thing that's going to be interesting is they've made such a big deal about them being Tokyo boys, you know? Like, so it had to be at a cork, and could it happen at that final cork end of the year if it's against, like, if we see a team of uh, Punch Tomonaga and, uh, I don't know, uh, Mondai Ryu. Yeah, Maybe. Crunch Tomonaga and Problem Dragon. Boy, you would hope, you would hope if that's the if that's the lineup on December 15th, that last Corgan Hall show, if it's Ricky and Ishin versus Punch and Problem Dragon, boy, you better hope the Yahashi brothers are going over. Well, I mean, you're also hoping at that point that Doi Darts, it, assuming that you're doing Doi Darts there, that, that that's a very favorable Doi Darts throw to, to have that situation that one of those guys aren't being put in the main event. So they might want to put, that, that might be a very interesting putting the Hashi brothers if they get pulled on the darts. Like, I think oh, that'd they, be they, really... They'll be on the board. I mean, they're roster members at this point. Right. I would like, I would really like to see at least one of them in that match. I think that would be super exciting, actually. Yeah, so if it's not that scenario, I think we're looking at 2022. And I think it's going to be maybe the first cork in 2022, if not a little later. I mean, just with how the, the schedules usually work, then it'll be kind of hard to figure out, I would say. Well, circle December 1st, circle December 15th. Those are the two cork and hall shows in the month of December. We will see what the Hashi brothers do there. Yep. And then the opener of the show, Natural Vibes versus High End. This was KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, Kinki Horikuchi, and UT versus BB Hulk, Kai, Kaido Ishida, and SB Kento. UT got the win with the uh, Passion Flash Pin on SB Kento. And what one can really see as the next Brave Gate match. Yeah, so I just talked about how the Cork and Hall shows are December 1st and December 15th of uh, of this year. December 19th, Dragon Gate is back in Nagoya for an SBK and UT homecoming show. And if I were a betting man, I would be saying that is your main event of that show, which I am a okay with. Yeah. I mean, my only bummer about that is that it's not gonna be on the network, but they'll tape that match. They'll yeah. Tape that I mean, match. the, you know, that's the building where SP Kento debuted. They taped that, put it up on the network. Obviously SPK versus Kagatora from earlier this year in that building, the brave gate match was not live, but it ended up on the network. I have no doubt that we'll see that match if it happens. Right. And then the thing starting off the show at Cork and Hall was the announcement of the three remaining Dragon Gate future wrestlers getting their official debuts. They're going to debut before the end of the year. They like doing these somewhat in the year debuts for people. Uh, so we have them on consecutive days. It is in Sendai. All three of these guys are from Tohoku. So, you know, the same region as Yamato. They're making a big point about pushing into that region. It is on the Sendai show, so at Gate of Origin, Takuma Fujiwara and Ryu Fuda will be debuting on that show. And the next day in Yamagata, they will be debuting Shoya Sato in his hometown. This is exciting. I mean, it's, it's three more guys to fall in love with immediately. I, I have no expectations for them yet. We'll see what they do during their debut matches, but 
I mean, what a year for this promotion to be able to, we'll give them credit for Estrella who debuted in December of last year to pump out Estrella, the Yahashi brothers, and now three more guys. And to think that SB Kento and and Jackie Funky Kamei, those guys are only going to be two years into their career. I mean, the talent they push out is just second to none. I don't need to go on that rant now. I did it a few weeks ago, but there is just, there's no other promotion like this. It's really remarkable. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. And with like Fudo and Sato, you have two bigger guys. You know, I mean, like it, it, it's something that like, I mean, as much as we love SBK and Jackie Funky May, they are on the shorter side. It's Estrella, shorter side. Uh, Hayakawa, shorter side. Getting some beef up there, I think, is a, well, at least provide some diversity of size on the roster there as well. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else you want to touch on this week, Case, but that was it for Corkin. That is all I have. All right, so in that case, uh, that will do it for this week uh, with the holidays and some other stuff. The schedule might be getting a little bit iffy, but we will keep you apprised at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your, in your case, and you can follow me at Fujiheya. That's going to do it for Open the Voice Gate. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>